forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Well, we're getting into summer. It's June, July. How are things with you? I'm actually asking. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Let me know how you're doing. Um, a couple of things. First of all, this month was the first time um, that I've been back in the studio for a while. And I think you can hear it in the studio episodes that are coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, I'm like a little hype, a little giddy, a little weird. Um, so thanks to our engineer, Jordan Katz, who has been working on this show for the past six months or so, uh, who is really cleaning it up and making me sound good. Thanks, Jordan. Um, the other thing is uh, that's been nice is the writing community has gotten together a few times, at least on my side of town, um, to like hang out and trade stories and uh, talk to each other about how things are going. And it continues to be bad. The good thing is um, I was glad to hear that a lot of lower-level writers are getting opportunities. Um, they were, when I first saw, talked to them in March, uh, this group, this East Side group, I heard a lot of terror at people who had had their first jobs and were just horrified that they would n never work again. Like, that was it. And that has not been the case. A lot of the folks I've talked to have gotten their second jobs. Unfortunately, a lot of them have had to repeat staff level. There's a lot of that going around, and I hope it's something that you know the guild can address in the future. Um, I'm also hearing from a lot of upper-level writers that they are going from job to job, and they feel, if not secure, at least they are working. Uh, the problem seems to be with folks at my level. Uh, Mid-level writers... Uh, the middle class of writers seems to have disappeared. And it's due to a whole host of problems in the industry, um, any of which are fixable, but all of which are going to take years to rectify. Um, you know, it's short orders. It's people hiring their friends. You know, it's harder to get read than it ever has been. Um, it's, you know streamers and and um the pipeline of writers is being lost you know i think these writers these staff writers who are getting offered opportunities it's a great thing i'm really glad about it um, but i'm afraid they're going to be lost once they start getting promoted too because we don't have 22 episode shows anymore and we don't have shows that run for more than a couple of years for the most part so those writers are not learning to produce episodes. They're not learning what it really means to be a producer level uh, writer. And I'm afraid that means they'll be out of a job just as we mid-level writers are now. All of which bears addressing, all of which my friends in the guild tell me is being addressed, um, but it's going to be a fight and it's going to take time. So... The good news is I think everyone is up for the fight. The bad news is it does take time. Uh, anyway, don't let this discourage you. Um, I think the conversations I've had in these past couple months on the podcast are really inspiring. Certainly they've inspired me, and I love the stuff I'm writing in a way that I haven't in a long, long time. So let that speak to you also. Uh, do the work. You know, you can always write. And find a way to put it out in the world. I think that's really helpful. Don't let this stuff sit in a drawer. Do a reading, put up a show, do an audio series, whatever it is that you can do for yourself and with your friends just to hear your stuff out loud. Anyway, do you all know about this uh, other podcast I produce on a different network called Dead Pilot Society? Uh, in that podcast, which... Um, I produced with a, a partner named Andrew Reich, who is a writer on Friends and many other shows. Um, we hold readings of pilots that were bought and developed, but never produced. So oftentimes it's the writer's first time getting to hear their work performed. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Go check it out. Look up Dead Pilot Society, um, Dead Pilots Pod on Twitter. Um, it's on the Maximum Fun Network. 
This is not an advertisement. I just like that show and I want more people to listen to it. And I think listeners to this show will enjoy that one. You know what else you'll enjoy is Household Faces with John Ross Bowie. This is not an ad either. This is another show I produce. Uh, My friend, the actor John Ross Bowie, who you know from Big Bang Theory and Speechless, uh, is a tremendous (laughs) acting nerd. And we started a podcast last year in which he talks to character actors about the business and process of acting. It is very much a sister show to this one. We've had so many great guests, uh, including Alfred Molina and um, just so like everyone, Jim Beaver, Cedric Yarborough, Harold Perrineau, Malcolm Barrett, um, John Aston. that's Gomez Adams. We did like a 90-minute chat with Gomez Adams. That is, you got to check it out. That is called Household Faces. It's right here on the Forever Dog Network. Please give it a try. And for all of these, please let me know how you like them by leaving a review on iTunes. It's very helpful to us to get more advertisers, which I know some of you find to be uh, difficult to listen to, but you got a skip button. I don't care. Uh, But I need to get paid because all this stuff is a lot of work. Um, Leave a review on iTunes. uh, Find me on Twitter. Let me know how you feel about these shows, who you want to see on these shows, what you are watching on television these days. Meantime, please enjoy this episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! This is how a podcast starts. Uh, What I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listener knows what you sound like. Tell us a place they may have seen uh, your name on their television screen or bookshelf or whatever. Hi, I'm Steve Yaki, the executive producer and creator of The Flight Attendant on HBO Max and uh, the upcoming Dead Boy Detectives. Great. And do you want to just list a couple of other things that you have worked on where folks may have seen your name in the past? Uh, I spent a lot of years hiding on Supernatural, getting away with um, writing some pretty terrible, like crazy things that they (laughs) let me get away with. So maybe you saw that. Um, And then Warner Brothers like opened the gates and let me out (laughs) into the general public. Um, And some uh, you you may some some of the people listening may have seen some of my plays. Dennis Lehane, I'm the uh, EP and writer of uh, Blackbird, which will be premiering on Apple TV plus on July 8th. Um, and I'm, uh, worked in television on the wire and boardwalk empire and Mr. Mercedes. Um, and I've also published several novels, including Mr. River and Shutter Island and Gone Baby Gone that were turned into movies. And that's, yeah, that's it. That's what I got. I, um, Yalin Chang. I'm an executive producer and writer of The Handmaid's Tale. I also um, worked on ER and Dirty Sexy Money and Supergirl and um, a bunch of like one season shows that you've never heard of. That's that's the life of a writer, though, right? Like this is how it's been this past decade is going from shows that have short orders or don't last. And like that's stuff we can talk about as we go through. Um In the meantime, I want to start just by asking all of you, what are your lives like right now? I I think all of you are sort of juggling multiple projects, and I'm curious to hear how like your past week or two has broken down. Um, What are you working on with each of these projects? What do your days look like? And, And Steve, let's again start with you and then kind of go around. Sure. I mean, this is actually kind of a bizarrely quieter time right now. Um, just because Warner Brothers and Fox are waiting to close a deal on one show and uh, Flight Attendant is done for the season and, and we're done with all the, the Emmy stuff and, and we're done with everything that we were sort of had to do. So it's just the writer's room for Deadwood Detectives right now, which is um, a lot of fun. It's fun to be when, when you're just in the room and yeah. you can really focus on it. It's pretty great. Absolutely. Um as you are between seasons though on the flight attendant like do you have to start thinking about that do you have to divide your attention if not your time 
Well, unless you know something that I don't know, we have not, uh, they have Fair not enough. announced the third season of the flight attendant right now. So, um, I'm not spending a terribly uh, large amount of time thinking about it uh, mm. until until they tell me to. <laughs> That's fair. Um, Dennis, the same question. You know, you've got Blackbird going on. It's premiering soon. Uh, are you wrapping up post-production on that? Where are you with that? And then where are you with other stuff? You know, you write a lot of novels. Uh, you work on other shows. What's happening these past couple of weeks? Uh, well, the past couple of weeks have been uh, gearing up and, and then now tomorrow the next day the junket comes press junket and then the premiere of the show you know the sort of industry premiere of the show is um on uh, wednesday uh and then the show itself premieres on on july 8th on apple tv plus so uh it's right now it's getting a little cool it's getting a little nuts but um uh but it's it's been uh we, we've been out of post for a while um and it it well, it was very instructive for me. I mean, I, I didn't know because I've primarily spent most of my life either in my own little monastic writing cell or in writers' rooms, um, and was never a, a, a production rat. I never liked to be on sets. Um, to to run a show, soup to nuts. This was the first time I ever did it, and we did it. You know, last year in Southern Louisiana during multiple COVID outbreaks and hurricanes and lightning strikes, and it was just crazy. And I and ungodly heat, and I um, I realized how much I loved it, which was a big surprise to me. It, 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 I mean, I loved it, and I think I've been growing more, less and less enamored of a lifestyle. I don't think I was ever truly enamored of in the first place, which is that you know, writing by myself. You know, I I'm pretty much, I'm a pretty social human being. So when I noticed, you know, when you write anything, but particularly a novel. The middle is where it's just a nightmare. It's the valley of darkness. I mean, there's just every, you know, David Mamet has a great line, the problems of the second act are the problems of the first act, which is every misconception you had at the beginning will show itself in the middle. You know, you don't know it when you're conceiving it. You're just kind of like, hey, what a great idea. And why and has nobody ever thought of that before? Then you get in the middle and you're like, oh, this is why nobody thought of it. They did think of it and it didn't work. So um, when you're a writer, you go through that alone. When you're a showrunner, and everything goes crazy. You got people you can bitch to. You can talk about it. You can figure it out. You could even maybe stick them with the problem. You know, it's <laughs> it's cool. You know, so um, I I really enjoyed it. I just I just had a wonderful time. So right now I'm just trying to get through the next few weeks, and then I'm going to be like Steve. I'll be back on the pilot. The, the, the next thing I'm writing for Apple TV Plus, which is. Okay. That's great. And I want to, I want to dig in on some of that show running stuff, um, in a minute. Um, but let's, let's wrap up this, uh, what do your days look like with Yellen? What have your past couple weeks look like? Where are you with handmaids or, and with other stuff right now? Um, so we are still, we are shooting season five of handmaids and, um, and doing post on the first couple episodes, um, you know, and sending those to the network. And so my days now, but the writer's room is is finally done. So, you know, my day is like, I was getting, you know, 4.30 a.m. phone calls from the set because we started, you know, because we shoot in Toronto, you know, and, um, you know, for like, you know, questions and changes, the scene that's going to be shooting that day, um, you know, and it's like writing ADR and it's watching cuts and giving notes. Um, and, um, and then, uh, and then sort of once this is sort of finally done, done, we can, I can go back and start working on the pilots that I kind of owe to, I have a deal at MGM and Hulu and I had, sold them to pilots before the season started. And then they just like kind of went on the shelf <laughs> and they've been very patient. I, you know, because they, they've been keeping me on handmaids, but the entire time they've been like gnawing at my brain, like, Oh my God, I have to, you know, I owe an outline. Sure. I owe a script. I owe a, you know, and for, um, you know, many, many months, I haven't been able to do that stuff at all. So, um, so when this dies down, I'm going to pivot to that, um, 
to those projects. And then there's another, there's like a book that they optioned for me that I'm also really interested in developing, but I don't love multitasking either. Mm -hmm. Like I really like having one thing to focus on at a time. And so, um, so it's more, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's annoying. I'm like easily frazzled, I think, when juggling multiple <laughs> projects. I don't really love that. <laughs> but but I would ask, um, I, I totally understand that. And I would ask all of you, like, is it tenable these days to just work on one thing at a time? Like, it, it is one thing when you are on staff on a show and you know that that you have that many weeks and you're also a producer on the show and you are getting those phone calls during production. But, you know, for those of us who are not being sent to set, which is more and more common, um, you know, how do we, how do we juggle this stuff when orders are shorter shows are, you know, don't last as long, you know, it feels, it feels almost as if we have to have multiple things going at once. I mean, Steve, you, you, have two literally had two shows kind of dovetail in the past year or so. Um, was it a necessity as much as something you wanted to do? I mean, I think it's for me, it's that I've always really liked multitask. I'm the, I'm the opposite of Yellen. I like, <laughs> I start to freak out if there isn't enough stuff going on. I, I like to live in chaos, but I also, I also, because my background is in playwriting and being a professional playwright means like not getting paid. So I come from like this world of scarcity of resources. And so television is this huge boon, but for a long time I was just like developing everything that I possibly could and hoping that something would stick. And then after flight attendant, um, the first season of flight attendant, like all the things that I had been doing before that went and started like go go and then it was like oh okay now i'm now okay so i'm gonna say yes to all of this stuff and it may kill me but um but i'm gonna i'm gonna try and do it i don't think i will ever there was a time last august when i had i was in berlin for flight attendant and i had six things due in the same week and mm -hmm. i was like i called my reps and i was like i don't care what i say to you I don't, I don't care if I beg, like never let me do this again because I won't be able to stop myself. So you need to stop me. And they all agreed that they would hold me down and knock me out. So that's, you know, now I'm, now I'm a much happier man. That's, I would imagine so. And you can give the attention that each of these projects needs too, right? Um, I mean, I think that's, that's super important is being able to, yeah. you know, the thing that they're really buying from us is our our lens on the world or our, our particular perspective. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, you have to be able to deliver that if you're like exhausted because it's spread so thin, it gets yeah. harder. That's, that's a great way of thinking of it. I mean, similarly, Dennis, are you working on novels while you are working on your shows? I had the strangest thing happen. I, I, I was, um, I was just beginning pre-production on the show when I got, um, when I, I had a real hard time writing novels the last 10 years and I got this idea for a novel and it was, it, I was like, this is, per oh my God, this is perfect. And this is, it, it, this may be my final novel. I'm not sure, but uh, the idea came to me and it was extremely personal. Um, and I've been trying to find a way to tell the, the, to write about the period of time that I write about in this novel, which is the summer of 1974 in Boston when the, when the schools were uh, desegregated. And, um, I uh, I started to just scribble in between work and pre-production. And then we went into production and I found it helpful at night to just bifurcate, to just come home and write on the novel a little bit. And I always loved the story about, I think everybody knows this one, about how when Spielberg was shooting um, Schindler's List, he was editing Jurassic Park. And that made perfect sense to me. You know what I mean? It was a way to kind of, everybody, you need to step away from the world of Schindler's List while you're doing it. I, I think you'd go insane. So he had a way to go and play with dinosaurs at night and then go back and shoot Schindler's. And um, it started to feel like that. It just started to feel like I was going home at night and I was just doing the decompression I needed. I didn't give myself any pressure. I never write at night. And suddenly I was writing at night and I was just writing longhand and notebooks and stuff. And I, came back from running my first show with 75% of my next novel done. And I finished it when I was, when we were in editing. So wow. I don't know how the hell my brain works. I really don't. Because <laughs> novels have been brutal for me for the last, I would say certainly the last like eight years. And 
this one just came out and it's, so I did my first TV show and arguably the best novel I've ever written simultaneously. So I don't know what the hell to That's say about right. it. Except <laughs> I will never have another year like this again. I am very aware that you get old enough and you know what lightning in a bottle feels like. And I'm like, <laughs> my last one, you know? Um, so yeah, it feels great. So I have a novel coming out um, in the, like April, I think of next year. That's so exciting. Um, it's interesting to hear you talk about like having trouble with the novels. And I think we've all sort of faced this thing, whether it's in, you know, any medium about like getting the ideas to come, right? And getting the passion for it to come, whatever it is. And and maybe we can talk about that for a second. And uh Yellen, you're you're shake you're nodding your head. What do you do to what do you do to like get get the energy up when it's when it's not naturally occurring yes please tell us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm still sort That's of in awe of the whole like you know writing a novel while running a show yeah. thing that was amazing that made I mean, me the entire time dennis was talking i was i was fascinated because just <laughs> writing a novel by itself is impossible and like the fact that you did it sorry i don't mean to interrupt i apologize but it seems terrifying. It seems terrifying. But to a answer your question, Ben, which is a good one, you know, I almost feel like <laughs> it also made me wonder listening to you guys like, why don't I love multitasking? And I think it's because <laughs> I get so obsessed about the thing, the problem, the thing that is facing me right then, the thing that needs to be solved by tomorrow that I find that I'm like, never not writing about on that thing, you know, so like so much like I'll wake up in the middle of my sleep and go, oh God, that's right, that's the answer. And I'll like grab my phone and on my notes app, I'll like write all this stuff out, you know, and then try to go back to sleep and it doesn't work and I'll get up and like, I'll write more and, or in the shower, it's like, oh, this is the oh, answer. Shower. Isn't the my, shower the best? I, the shower's <laughs> amazing. But the, the problem is my notes app is insane. And also because of the <laughs> kind of shit that I write, you know, it's like if my kids ever saw my notes app, I mean, it'd be like, it's like, you know, I want to kill everyone. I'm incredibly depressed. I feel like a waste of space. Like there are all these like dialogue lines that just come out, you know, that sound crazy, you know, right. um, you know, like, I hope you're that your baby dies in your womb. You know, I, I mean, it's like just crazy stuff that if anyone thought that it was actually me writing it, I would be like, you know, put in jail. Um, but so in answer to your question, Ben, I feel like it for me, it's less about getting the energy up, but more about like, there's all this stuff that is constantly bubbling up that needs to be expended by writing, you know? And so it's sort of like whenever there's anything, I mean, like what's going on in the world right now with the overturn of Roe v. Wade or, you know, all of this stuff, there's all this kind of like, um, for me, there's all this like dark stuff that is going on and I need to get it out. I need to push it out into final draft and out onto the page. And then I feel kind of spent and calm and content. So it's like writing the crazy dark stuff helps for me get the darkness out. So it's almost like all this pent up energy that just needs to go somewhere. And ideally it mm -hmm. goes, you know, into the page, it goes on to the page, it goes in, onto the set, it, you know, I put it out all on the actors and stuff. And then, and then like I can go and, you know, go to like school drop off and pick up. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and it's similar it's interesting. Like it, it does feel like a similar kind of thing to what Dennis is describing about like working a different part of your brain, right? You're sort of expel the fiction needs to be expelled in a lot of ways. And and production often doesn't lend itself to that, but the act of writing does. Um Steve, you were saying, you know, you were asking earlier, jokingly about like, how do you do it? But surely you have faced this stuff over the course of your career where like, you got to get these pages done. Um, and the world is overwhelming or deadlines are overwhelming or, you know, your attention is divided. So what do you do to get them done? To me, it feels like, I mean, well, playwriting is always something that's going to be 
like playwriting I do for myself. Mm -hmm. Like I write because I'm struggling with something or I'm right because I don't understand why something is the way that it is. And so I write those plays to like therapize the problem and then, and then, uh, and then I feel great and audiences have to watch it. So, um, so it's their problem then, but I, but I honestly, like, I think you said deadlines. I find deadlines to be incredibly helpful as much as I'm like, Oh no, the deadline's coming. Like when the deadline gets close enough that you can feel it, you will magically discover that you have all kinds of things to write. Yes. Like, you know, it, it kind of helps. It kind of helps you push through the kind of thing that Yellen was talking about, like that when you kind of get stuck on and, and you're just focusing on one thing, but this other thing is due. It kind of, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but the deadlines help me kind of like go, I've never missed a deadline. And I, I don't now I now I can't like in my mind, I, I won't do that. And since I know that I won't do it, I know that eventually I'm going to write the pages. <laughs> And so it's freeing. It also makes me procrastinate, but it's really freeing. I'm going to shift gears to pick up on something we were talking about earlier, which is uh, show running and production and, you know, all the things that are thrown at you as a writer, but also a producer. Um, and Dennis, let's go back to you on this. I mean, it, it was, re it's really nice to hear that you discovered that you like that part of it, yeah. uh, after working for so many years in this business, what was the stuff that initially you had avoided or feared that you found you could embrace on, um, on Blackbird? Well, the thing that I think I was most, um, uh, and I know a lot of writers like this, a lot of writers I work with are like this, which is, um, Part of me was just like, I just, I know my lane. My lane is to write. There's no, there's no point in me going onto a set, you know, like, like, I don't see what the point, you know, and, and I find sets incredibly boring as, as most of us who do this job do. And it, the, the most boring part of it, I still feel this way, is watching, the, you watch the first or the second take of a scene, and it's wonderful. You watch the 18th setup of the same scene. You know, there's nothing wonderful about that. I don't care if you're watching Denzel. I, you know, there's nothing wonderful about that, in my personal opinion. Now, Martin Scorsese may feel very differently. David Fincher clearly would feel differently, but I don't. Like, I'm like, we got it, let's go, you know? Um, now, again, I'm not like, you know, I worked with Clint Eastwood and he's two takes an hour, you know? And and it's like, whoa, they hit the... they 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 hit the boom mic walking out of that scene. And Clint's like, don't worry, we'll deal with it in post. And so um, I, I found that everything else, though, boy, became fascination. It started because they gave me carte blanche on casting. And once I, once I did that, I fell in love with casting. I fell head over heels in love with casting. I cast every single part. And I would stay up all night just watching my Zooms of all these auditions not Zooms, but all, all these auditions. And, and I just thought, this is the best. And then you, you start to have real pride of ownership because you're like, I, you know, that person who gave that one line that you're all real impressed about, I found them, you know, I found them, my casting director, but I found them. And, and then it just started to extend. We had a, I had a really strong sense of one half of my show being, uh, looking like, uh, Days of Heaven which is one of my favorite films. So I wanted to set up a kind of Edenic identity to some of these scenes. I passed that along to the production designer and the art department, and they began to show me stuff. And I was like, just like that? Like, I say it, and you guys bring it to me? Wow, this is great. And then it just spread all <laughs> the way across. And I, luckily, I did have one thing that I knew was my instinct, and it's my personality, which is I'm not a micromanager. I have no micromanaging instincts. I hire really good people and then I just macromanage them. You need me, let me know. You don't need me, go go with God. And that began to just again flower and and show wonderful things came out of that and it just became a joyful pro process and I also have a no asshole policy in every aspect of my life and I'm old enough now to have earned it. And I just feel like I don't need you. If you're a pain in the ass, I don't want to work with you, period. I don't care how talented you are. I don't want to work with you. And so 
we did that. And then that made it joyous because it was tough. It was a tough shoot. And, but everybody was in it together. And, and then we cast it correctly so that our lead actor was completely committed and without an ounce of vanity or insecurity or toxic narcissism or any of that. And that sets the tone and it took the entire cast there. And so it was, it was quite a, I mean, then, then shit just goes wrong. That's life. You know, it's a, it's a major production. You're going to have things go wrong. So things went wrong, but we just all rallied and it was, man, I, I love, I, I would, I would happily do this for the rest of my life. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing about production is that it's so, it's just like such an incredible privilege, you know, like I just find it so amazing how you write, you know, a couple lines in a script and then you have these like incredible artists and storytellers and the production design and the set design department and the costumes who are decoding everything you wrote like it's, you know, like the Bible or something. And then using that as a jumping off point for them to tell their stories, you know, and then you watch them at work. I mean, like on The Handmaid's Tale, everyone is, you know, just like top notch. Um, these departments are incredible. And it's the first time actually that I've had an experience where you write a script and in every step of the way, it just gets better and it gets elevated. And usually having been a veteran television writer for 20 years, you're used to, you know, you write a script and you're every step of the way you kind of get compromised a little bit. It goes the and other you have way. fights yeah. and it goes the other <laughs> no way. It's not yeah. exactly what you wanted, you know, but, um, but God, talent is everything. And, you know, we have these like incredible actors, you know, like C. Moss and Yvonne Strasky, and they just take your words and you br- they bring them to places that never, even in your wildest dreams you thought would be there, you know, and it's, um, you know, and so like even throwaway lines, you know, the way they analyze, like good actors will analyze and get underneath and really care about it. it. It's such a, it's such a privilege. And it is this bizarre thing where we get to kind of feel like God, where you just you think of something in your head and then a couple weeks later, it's like there in front of you, like you create it, you manifested it somehow you know it's uh it's it's just like an astounding thing (laughs) one of the things that's interesting is i you have the exact same attitude i do which is i still don't believe they pay me for this (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i want to you pay me to play and bring my friends along like that's crazy it's wonderful i'm sorry steve i didn't mean to cut you off at all no you didn't i i just something you said earlier and yelling uh kind of beautifully unpacked it. I, I just think that the biggest kind of discovery for me as a showrunner was if you hire creative, talented people and you just make sure everyone's pointing in the same direction, then like if you talk to everyone about like, rather being like, this is exactly what I want it to look like. This is exactly what I want it to sound like. If you, like my experience on Flight Attendant was if you just talk to each designer about this is what the show's about. This is who Cassie is. And this is what our intent is. Mm-hmm. Then they all found their own way to that through their creativity. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it, people are like, wow, that show has a, such a, a distinct voice. And that voice is all of those people working yeah. towards the same thing. And mm-hmm. so there are lots of different ways to show run, but I've found that if you like create a space where, you know, there's guardrails. Like if you create a, a yeah. space where people can, have the freedom and resources to do their best work, you end up with a really good product on the other side. Is This seems like um, a lesson that and a skill that is learned through experience. Um, and I want to ask all of you about some of the rooms you've worked in and, you know, what, what did you take from that, those rooms that you can apply to running your own show, that you can apply to your writing, that you can apply to producing. Um, and Steve, I want to sort of follow up on what you were saying and like, tell me a little bit about, I mean, you've worked in some sort of disparate rooms from, from awkward and scream to supernatural, which when I was at supernatural in season seven and there was no room when you were there. Yeah. There was still no room, right? (laughs) No, no. You go into the room for the first three days of the season yep. and you pitch out a bunch of ideas. They tell you which episodes you're writing and then you go off to your office and and you uh, break everything, pitch everything, outline everything by yourself. And then you write your episode by yourself. And 
go through the notes process with the showrunner and Bob yeah. Singer, who was there when you were there, is there when I was there. Um, but uh, that show, I actually think that show was incredibly helpful. And it's really, if you look at the people that have come out of Supernatural, it's like a ton of showrunners um, because the show you really do, I think it's like, it's also like the John Wells school of making television where you're, you know, you occasionally meet and then the onus is really on you to crack this episode and deliver it and, uh, and to learn how to take notes in a way that is effective, but not um, sort of as Yellen referenced, you know, kind of each pass gets degraded a little bit because you're <laughs> trying to serve all the many studio and, and network masters. And I think um, Supernatural is a really, all my years on Supernatural, I think were incredibly helpful going into, um, even though we're not on set, like on Supernatural, yeah. like we, people would like tweet at me, like, I can't believe you did this in this episode. Why would you let them do that? And I'm like, cause I wasn't there, <laughs> um, you know? And I think uh, you never answer people on Twitter, but for me, <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> that was the, uh, that was, it was, it, it was an incredible thing just to be surrounded by such a, a great group of writers all the time. Mm-hmm. And we had an incredibly stable room for like the, the years that I was there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think in that respect of, of kind of having to own your own work, um, it was really mm-hmm. helpful when you're then sitting in front of a writer's room. That makes a lot of sense. And and from both like the sort of craft point of view and also the bigger picture of like, you you are all aiming towards this one thing, right? And it's pretty clear what it is. Um, when it came time to run your own room, uh, were there things you knew you wanted to do, things you knew you didn't want to do? Yeah, well, I didn't want to do 22 episodes a season. That's <laughs> sure. from, I mean, uh, so I, I don't mind the streaming schedule. I it's mm-hmm. very odd that you often can't have writers on set because that's something I, I think is really important and writers need to learn how to produce on set. And the only way to do that is to go to set. But, um, I think, I think I just kind of, I never wanted anyone in the writer's room to feel small. And that's the biggest thing I got from all of my different experiences and all of those different rooms and types yeah. of shows is that the really successful rooms were rooms where people felt uh, encouraged, enthusiastic and energized. And the rooms that were more difficult were the rooms where you didn't know what kind of mood the showrunner was going to be in that day. It might be grenades, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have no idea. So for me, it's a little bit of what Dennis said about the no assholes policy. I knew when I was a showrunner, that I'm not interested in your bad attitude in my room. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, it's so, and it's so unproductive. It's so yeah. it's so counterproductive to why we're all there. It's saying it's zero sum game, man. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's it, it gets so frustrating when you see that type of person in a room, or when you see them on a set. If that's the director, if that's an actor, if it's a, it's just I, I I'm sorry, man. I I just really don't. Life is too short to deal with you know, whatever happened to you in grade school. It's not my fucking fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and yeah. I, I just, you know, we're here for, a, we're a community. We're supposed to be doing something communal. And when you make it all about you, you pull away from the community, you know? And I just, I, I can't, I truly can't stand it. Um, so. Yeah. And the job is hard enough, right? I mean, yeah. like we don't, we don't need the added difficulty. No. I, I mean, yeah. I love what y'all are saying and I, you know, it's interesting. I think it is very helpful to have been in a bunch of different rooms, actually, before you sort of climb up the ladder, you know, because you experience that every writer's room is as different as families are different, you know, I mean, they're so and I mean, the way that they work and whether or not you beat out every scene together or you just, you know, do sort of broad strokes, like whether you all give notes on scripts or just one person that, you know, it's really um, it's really fascinating. I mean, one thing I've learned um, is that, you know, uh, once you're sort of senior in the room that you don't actually need to shoot things down. You don't need to make people feel bad. You don't need to say no, like you only really need to say yes, because sort of the ideas that aren't really hitting the mark, they can help lead to something or they sort of just get forgotten. You know, so there's actually, I mean, unless the room is like really going in the wrong direction, um, mm-hmm. you can kind of let people say their piece and then not, you know, 
not reject someone so bluntly so that because then you lose that writer and that writer is just mm -hmm. sort of sitting there stewing in their own humiliation and getting angry and you know and so i mean i don't know it was you know um in the the room we have now in the hand me tell i mean it's almost absurd but it's actually it's like those funny therapy exercises where everyone's like you know i I really like that idea. And what I like about it is <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And it is so formulaic, but it actually really helps. And like people really try to reference, you know, other people's ideas yeah. and pitching their own ideas, and, you know, and, but only like positive, like you just sort of keep it, keep it positive, you know, because other, because I, I feel like it's so, it's such a fragile thing, the room. I mean, the, the room I think is sort of magic in the way of, I think Steve, you were saying before, Dennis, like you, you, you hit a wall and then you throw the problem to the room. And like in 15 minutes, the room has, you know, a half dozen solutions. And it's like, oh, you would not have gotten there on your own or it would have taken you hours. And instead it just took, you know, 15 minutes. But so like the room is sort of like, there's a magic alchemy in that way, you know, but it's, it's so fragile too, because it's so easy for everyone to work out their kind of psychological bullshit in the room too, you know, where it's like suddenly there's <laughs> yeah. like a father figure or mother figure and everyone wants to get that person's approval. And if that person says to you, and I know, cause I've been that person for so many years of like, <laughs> if the authority figure says no, then I feel terrible, you know? And if the authority figure says yes, I feel like, Oh, suddenly I'm worthwhile. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a long time, but you, you realize you just can't take anything personal. Either. <laughs> sure. But it's also intensely personal, right? Where it has to be the sort of safe place where you can have this sort of free flow of ideas and problem solving and giving of yourself. Like that, that's what makes this such a weird job. Um, yeah. It's, it's also a room full of writers. Like, <laughs> I every, know. Everyone, everyone has like, like the thickest skin imaginable and then the thinnest skin imaginable at the same time. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun landmine field of yeah. like just a little dance. Fun and dangerous. Yeah. Fun and dangerous. <laughs> Dennis, let's talk about the wire. Was it a traditional room show? Mm -mm. No, no. It was, How did it uh, work? It uh, David, uh, Ed, and Bill Zorzi would. Um, I think they were there all the time. I can't speak a hundred percent to this, but I think they were there all the time. And it was out of uh, an office that uh, David had in his home, which was in an old church in Baltimore. And um, we would. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we would, um, the writer would be shipped in for their episode. And so really? you get the room notes and you would have them waiting for, you know, you would have them for weeks ahead of time. And then, and then all of a sudden it comes time to do episode 103 and you would fly into Baltimore and you would stay there for about a week. It was about a week usually. And you would beat out your episode and then you mm -hmm. would, uh, take your beat sheet, go back home, write your episode, turn it in. Wow. And that was it. What were you given to sort of jump off from? They had presumably broken the season. They would have a macro sense of the season. They would have a strong macro sense of the season where they were driving towards. Um, and then, and then uh, you would have that as sort of like the front of a Bible, right? If you think mm -hmm. about it, right? You know, the first few pages of a Bible was kind of what sure. you had, the macro, macro stuff that was going to happen. And then you would have the beat sheet of episode one. And then you would get the beat sheet of episode two. And then you would get the beat sheet of episode three. And then you would fly in to do episode four. And then so on and so forth. And so um, there was really the one thing that I loved about The Wire, and it worked for my personality, or maybe it didn't work for my personality, maybe it created my writer's personality, was it was a total shit or get off the pot room. It was really fast. Like we mm. just didn't go down too many rabbit holes. It was like, you know, is this idea good? This idea is good. And you'd, bounce, you'd, pu you'd push against it a little bit, you know, maybe an hour. And then you'd be like, no, this works. Let's go. And I've been in rooms that were debilitated by what if. Sure. You know what I mean? You got it. Everything's working. 
And then the showrunner or the second in command would suddenly say, but is it? And then they dismantle it. And then they dismantle it and do it again. And then you'd just be like, oh my God, like this, we're going to sit here for the next six months going, what if? And I've, I've seen rooms like that. I, that were just, I was in a room once that this is the main character now. The main character of the show, it would say, what is so-and-so's storyline, right? That was on the board on day one. It was on the board on day 90. It was on the board, I found out from the guy who replaced me. It was on the board on day one. Oh, God. And you're like, Lord. And, and, and literally, I started that room with another guy who quit after two days. Because he was just like, because of that question. He was like, how can you not fucking know? <laughs> at least the general idea of where the main character's going. And they were like, yeah, we don't really do that much. You know, and you're, oh, God. Like, it just not. Oh, you, I'm sorry. I just caught up. You're saying it wasn't filled in. You're saying the question was. <laughs> it was an there, ongoing they had question. No answer yeah. for it. It's an ongoing question. <laughs> oh, that makes my head explode. That's crazy. <laughs> right. Sorry, I caught up late. I, no, I was it, was, like, I don't it was. It was nuts. And after. Wow. And that room was also a place where. It was the room where in really annoying, passive aggressive ways, um, they treated the, all the junior writers like, like crap. And yeah. I hate it. And just demoralized them or worse, swimming with sharks, create those writers became that type of person because that's how they trained. So they thought that's the way you do it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so bad. Like, so I, I've been, I've been on, both sides of the spectrum. I've seen the downside. I'm dealing with it right now. We went in, we broke a pilot in my writer's room a couple of weeks ago. I am, we all five very smart people stared at it and said, this is beautiful. This works. This kicks ass. This is great. I started to write the pilot and it all fell apart. I'm literally like, what were we thinking? How could five intelligent people stare at this and think it works? It doesn't work at all. Now, so I get it. Like what we did was the wire way of doing it. We went in, we said, we're going to nail this. We're not going to obsess over it. And now I'm reaping what we sowed because I'm like, we probably should have obsessed over that a little bit more. But, but I would rather live in that space yeah. than live in the other space. You know, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, it, it feels like even if it's the equivalent of just getting a first draft down, right? Like you have something to work with. You have something to actually poke those holes in instead of, getting lost in the what ifs, uh, which can be debilitating. Um, you hear about those shows. I yeah. mean, I've heard about those <laughs> shows where it's like a year, a writer's room has been hired. It's been a year, nothing to show for it. You, you know, fire all the writers, get a whole new batch of writers, another nine months. There's no pilot. We're in pre-production in two weeks. Nobody knows what, you know, anyone's doing. Like there are definitely shows like that, that somehow work like that. <laughs> I, I wonder if any of you can speak to, you know, as I mentioned before we start rolling, that the listeners to this podcast want to do what you do, which means they are going and having meetings with showrunners about getting jobs on staffs. And are there warning signs that they can look for in those meetings? Are there questions they can ask about how the show is run or how the room is run to avoid that kind of thing? Can I can I Please. just be honest? I'll give you my honest answer to that. I, when I, before I got staffed for the first time, I wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Uh, I if if the showrunner had been like, actually, I I hit everyone in the face every morning when they walked into the writers' room. <laughs> yeah. I would have been like, Great, Please yeah. give me that job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like honestly, you yeah. you just you want you want to kind of break in, and yeah. then you kind of learn the lessons of your first show, and then as you move up through the chain, you get opportunities and hopefully, you know, your work speaks for itself and you're given choices. And then when you have choices, you ask questions like, well, how do you like to run a room and things like that? But when I was starting out, I would have taken any staff job that was given because you, it's so hard. The That's barrier true. to entry is so intense. And I think it's only getting harder. I agree. I agree 100%. You just want in that room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if, as long as it isn't, you know, I feel as long as it isn't sexual, you know, then, then you go in. Most most writers just say, "I'll put up with it." 
you know, long hours, abuse, a psycho who's running the room. Like, it's no different. Look, I became, you know, in another life, I was a college professor. And, and one of the things that happened is I took a lot of bad classes on my way to be de- defining what type of teacher I wanted to be. It's the exact same thing, wouldn't you say? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also the other thing is that sometimes those, I mean, and I've definitely been in those situations too, where it is a toxic showrunner and the, um, the buddies you made, like the fellow writers <laughs> in that room, you get so close. You're so yeah. bonded. That's like friends for life, you know? And also all those people will end up running shows, creating shows, hiring you. And you've had this experience together where you now know what not to do. It's almost like, I mean, the, the meeting of the other writers and bonding with other writers in a room is almost a almost as important, maybe just as important as your relationship with the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we hear that, we hear that a lot about when, you know, I think a lot of new writers have questions about networking and what that, you know, the, both the negative and positive connotations of that word. And the most valuable thing you can do is like, find your peers, make friends, you know, yeah. you're all going to come up together. Yeah. And Ben, um, ben you're so right that it's, you know, it is a, Steve, you were saying it, it is getting harder with this smaller rooms and the shorter orders and the shorter seasons. And I don't know. The question is what we can do to kind of yeah. fight against that. I know we have like a big negotiation coming up, but I just think that the, the how hard it is to break in now, it doesn't, it's, it's, um, I feel like it's not healthy for our industry, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a great point. Steve, go ahead. No, that's, uh, I agree. I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree. Um, all right. We we need to start to wrap up. Um, where are we? Dennis, Blackbird is out uh, July 8th. Is that the, that the yes. premiere? July 8th, yes. Uh, and is it, it's running weekly on Apple TV? First two episodes and then every Friday. Awesome. And folks should check it out. And then every Friday. Yep. Yeah. Uh, folks should check it out. It's a really great, like, intense and but also really entertaining series um i should ask you i'm sure you know as you do the press rounds for it um i should ask you about ray liotta mm. yeah he was uh ray i wrote the part for ray uh oh, wow and um and then and then you know because uh, ray ray Liotta, i had my as a as a viewer I had what I would consider, you know, my Marlon Brando moment. First time you see Marlon Brando. First time I saw Ray Liotta was in Something Wild. And and I was a, you know, 20-year-old kid. And, and it transformed the entire movie. And I couldn't believe what he had done. I couldn't believe that performance. So I um, wrote, you know, and I've loved him ever since. And I loved him in some roles that always go against the type of Ray Liotta. Like I love him in Flo as Johnny Depp's father. And I love him in, you know, uh, several films where he's quieter, Field of Dreams. Um, so... I uh, I wrote the part for him and we got along wonderfully. Uh, Ray was Ray came to work. Ray wasn't there to make friends. Ray wasn't there to become you know go out partying. Ray was there to work, to do his job, and he was great. It was so wonderful to work with him. And he would work if you gave him like sixteen hours of work, he would give you sixteen hours of work back. Just don't make him sit around. That was the big thing. And he was great. He was just wonderful. And the last conversation we had two weeks before he died was you know um, we we. We, we were determined to always work. He would be my good luck charm. He would be in everything I wrote. Aww. And uh, and he was like, would you write me a bigger part this time? <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, he was great. He was great. And he gives a beautiful performance. When you see the show, I yeah. think you'll see how much heart and soul he put into it. So it's great. Yeah. It feels like a performance that has been has built on you know 30 years of his performances it's mm-hmm. it's really a beautiful performance that you really and, and like the material is up to par up to his ability it's it's really nice to see so congrats on on that uh and on the show um steve dead boy detectives does that have a date or anything do we know when that's coming you're i know you're just getting rolling in the room um we do we not anything that we can announce okay <laughs> But How's it's a ways off, answer? I would imagine. Yes, it, it it will be next year. Okay. Um, and this is uh, based on the DC Comics stuff. Um, is this is this the kind of nerd that you are? Is this touching the kind of nerd that you are? Yeah, I mean, this was something that was on a shelf at DC for a long time, and I had to like 
bribe and browbeat and beg like many a person to finally get my hands on it because wow. it's a Neil Gaiman prop. I mean, he created it. It mm-hmm. came out of the pages of Sandman. And so Warner Brothers obviously is extremely protective of it, but they've been great. He's been great. Everyone at DC has been fantastically supportive of the like Hardy Boys on Acid version of the show that we're doing. So, so I think, um, yeah, it's going to be just as crazy as I wanted it to be. And then we'll see if like the 11 people who are going to watch it really enjoy it. <laughs> just make sure they're loud enough. Uh, I'm I'm excited for it. It sounds really fun. Um, And then finally, to bring us down, uh, Yellen, we all were talking a little (laughs) bit before we started rolling about, yeah, just just wait for it, about the (laughs) responsibility of writing A Handmaid's Tale uh, in our current uh, Roe versus Wade uh, being struck down world. Um, Granted, the season was already written, but I would imagine, you know, that weight has been on you all for these past five, six years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember starting on the show in season two and even then, you know, it, uh, you didn't think we still thought we were doing sort of speculative fiction. And even then I didn't think a Roe v. Wade would be overturned. That seemed, I mean, that seemed like it was like a threat, but it just didn't seem like it would actually happen. And I mean, I would say like through the writing of the show through the last couple seasons and getting into the minds of sort of you know, like the worst people in the world and people with fascistic totalitarian mindset. It's that it's very easy for the intolerable to become normalized, you know, Mm. like I even see it on the show. When we do the show, I did an episode in season two where um, our main character, June is pregnant and she is raped by her commander, you Mm. know, and they handmaids get raped. They get raped every month, but there was sort of this outcry like, how could you rape her? She's pregnant. That's just horrific. And even then it was like, wow, rape is always horrific. The woman doesn't have to be pregnant for it to Mm. be a horrific thing, you know, but it's like, this is just beyond the pale, but it's like, it always was, you know, and sort of, there's always like, you create this kind of new baseline of just what is tolerable. And I worry that that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it, it it's crazy. As I had said before we were talking, it was like it's supposed to be a cautionary tale, not an instruction booklet, you know? Um yeah. yeah. yeah so is Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Um we'll wrap up as we always do by asking you what you're watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, your loved ones, your friends? Um and Yellen, let's j- start with you. Oh, um, you know, I've been watching with my family, Barry, and I just really, it's so interesting because it's so, I mean, honestly, my husband was like, by finishing this season, he was like, it's too dramatic. Like it kind of turned into this incredibly dark, traumatic show. And it was like, that's not, like, I like to watch comedy. I <laughs> I need to like not watch hour long dramas. I want to watch comedies, but you know, it's so interesting. And I, you know, I listened to Bill Hader and he talked about you know, you have to follow the truth of the characters and this is a man who kills people. And it's like, Mm. but that was, I thought that it was a comedy. I don't know, but it's really, (laughs) but I have to say it's incredibly artistically brave for that, that to have a show go just like completely switch genres on you. It's a really fascinating bait and switch, but it's an honest artistic choice. And so I respect that. Although it did piss my husband off a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the show he signed up for. Not funny anymore. (laughs) No, Uh, it is a great recommendation though. And if folks have not caught up, they absolutely should. Dennis, what are you watching these days? My dog. Um, What am I watching? Um, I I did something. I'm not a binger Uh, outside of Breaking Bad, a season of Breaking Bad once. I've never binged anything in my life. And I binged all of Severance in 24 hours. Oh, um, yeah. Severance is great. Great. Severance is amazing. Um, and then now the only other thing I'm watching, like, like appointment now I'm showing up is um, The Old Man, just for Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. So, so great. Yeah. I keep hearing about this performance. I haven't started yet, but yeah. uh, it's supposed to be incredible. I got to check it out. And Lithgow, too. The two of them. You know, the two of them right. are just like, when you see it's that old pro feeling. When you can just, ah. you know. Settle back into an old two old pros just making it look effortless. It's wonderful. So that's great. Uh, Steve, what are you watching these days? Um, well, I will say one that kind of went by that you should catch if you if you haven't seen it yet is I was completely obsessed with the first season of Yellow Jackets. 
Mm-hmm. I think I didn't know what that show was going to be. And, and I had an idea, I think of what that show was going to be. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll tune in. And then it, and then it just went so bonkers, but in the best way yeah. and in a way that still felt grounded and earned. Yeah. I thought, so it was so great. And the performances are fantastic. Um, and then right now I'm, I'm really hooked on this uh, third season of the boys. I think that that, that is in terms of political satire, um, which is not what you think when you hear about a, a superhero show that has an orgy in it. Um, I, I would just say that I, it seems like the more popular that show gets, instead of being safer, they're taking more and more chances um, and just pushing it further and further and further. And that's really fun to watch because you really don't know what you're going to get out of any episode. And there's at least one time where you're going to be like, oh, like... <laughs> <laughs> if I tried to do that, someone in a network would have like smacked me, like reached through the phone and smacked me. So it's really that that one that show I'm really getting a kick out of the season. Oh, that's cool to hear. I'll I'll have to catch up with it. Um, thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate you chatting. Uh, please come back, plug all your stuff uh, when they all start premiering next year. Also, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This was pleasurable. Thank you. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.